0: And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and he went to the synagogue, as his custom was, on the Sabbath day. We read from the Gospel of Luke, from today's Mass, the Gospel reading. And he stood up to read, and there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Lord Jesus, this is clearly a bold claim that you make in front of your relatives and fellow citizens there in Nazareth, very early in your public life, that your presence, your person, is the fulfillment of this centuries-old scripture from the prophet Isaiah, that you are the one who is anointed by the Lord, the Christ the Anointed One, and you've been sent on this wonderful mission of beneficence, of mercy, to preach good news to the poor, release the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. It's a bold claim, a claim, of course, that goes on to be accepted by some and rejected by others. And in spite of this tension, it's very beautiful how we see here St. Luke describes this scene in a very peaceful way, a very deliberate way. And so after our Lord reads this text, you get this long sentence in which there's this description of what happens next. And it gives this impression of Jesus's peace and composure in this moment. He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. These are all details that we can imagine, and they're given to us in a kind of order, one step at a time. He closed the book, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And then everyone's looking at him. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. To me, this verse communicates a kind of peace, a composure, self composure in our Lord. It's almost as if he makes this incredibly awesome pronouncement about himself that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And he's come to do all these wonderfully good things for us. And then he just sits down and sees how we're going to react, how those around him will react. Like, and what do you think of that? (laughs) What do you think about what I just told you, what I just said about myself? And that's a great question for our prayer. It's a question, as we know, that our Lord puts to his apostles in a very direct way later on in the gospel. He turns to them after asking them, who do people say that I am? Who do others say that I am? He turns to his apostles and says, and you, who do you say that I am? Who am I for you? And Jesus, we want you to be our savior. We want you to be our Messiah. We want you to be our God. But this means that in our life, we literally have to go to him with our problems. We have to go to him for help. If we don't, we don't get him. We don't get the role that he's come to play. We don't get the role that he actually has in my life as my Savior and my Redeemer. Whether we're materially rich or poor, we are the poor. I am the poor that Jesus came to preach good news to. I am the captive. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. I am the captive. I am the slave that needs to be released by Jesus, my Savior, my Redeemer. I am the blind. In my sinfulness, I don't think about things clearly. I don't see things clearly. I don't judge things clearly. In my life, in the life of others, in history, in the world, what's happening right now. I am the blind that needs the light of grace from Jesus to see well. Liberty to those who are oppressed. I am oppressed by others, by my situation, by my false desires, again, by my sinfulness. And Jesus comes to set me free. So Jesus tells us this, and then he sits back and says, with his silence, do you believe this? Do you believe this about me? Am I this for you? Jesus, who are you for me? And so a very good practice, a very good practice in our life is, whatever problem we have, one of the things we have to do is tell Jesus about it, is go to our prayer and address him explicitly, personally. Jesus, I need your help with this. Jesus, I believe that you are my Savior, my Redeemer. I need your help with this problem. Whatever problem we have, whatever kind, Jesus will be part of the true solution. Sometimes he says this in the gospel, come to me, bring him to me. We just saw this in the Mass the other day, the scene of the man with the withered hand, Jesus goes into the synagogue on a Sabbath. The man is there with a withered hand. And Jesus says to him, Come to me. Approach me with that problem. Jesus also says to it very clearly, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me, you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Who do you say that I am? Lord, do I say this? That you are my Redeemer, that you are my Savior, that you are here to help me. Just as you proclaim today in the Gospel, you are the anointed to preach good news to the poor, sent to proclaim release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, Who do you say that I am? And this question has deeper meaning, deeper resonances still. Once we realize that Jesus is not just a human Messiah, a special man, a special prophet sent by God, but that he is God himself, then our response to Jesus, our love for Jesus, has to kind of go off the charts. We have to be madly in love with our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pray and ask Jesus, well, Lord, what should I do? How can I improve my relationship with you? This new year is starting. We're in the month of January still. Lord, what are my priorities for the year? What do you want me to do? And one of the things our Lord always wants from us, we can always grow in, is a greater love for Him, a greater affection for Him, a greater appreciation for Him, a greater sense of devotion and dependence on Him, that he become more and more central to our life. There are some very striking passages in the Gospel where Jesus very clearly tells us that He needs to be the absolute center of our heart. He needs to be the highest object of our affection and our love. And they're striking passages such that if we read them out of context, we would be kind of scandalized or surprised by how important Jesus says he needs to be for us. They almost seem self-centered or selfish on his part. For instance, this is from the Gospel of Matthew. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. That's a surprising thought, right, from Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, who's always preaching fraternal charity. That somehow he's also come to separate us. He's also come in a way to cause division. And what is that cause of division? Well, it's going to be a division between those who love him in the way that he needs to be loved and those that don't, because those that don't love him in this way will be resentful and will persecute those who do love him in this way. And so he goes on to explain, A man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So the division that Jesus speaks of between father and son, mother and daughter, daughter daughter-in-law mother-in-law, the foes of your own household, comes from this decision on the part of the Christian to love Jesus above them, to love Jesus above everyone else in their life. And if this were the only passage that we had read ever in the gospel, I hope it's not. This would be a hard passage to come across first. If this were the first and only passage we read, we would be surprised and shocked and perhaps scandalized, put off by Jesus's claim for himself, basically saying, look, you need to love me more than everything, even more than your own life. And if not, you're not worthy of me. It sounds kind of like a megalomaniac. Who do you think you are? How can you demand that kind of loyalty, that kind of love, Jesus? And yet with our faith, we know that he deserves this because he is God. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And we know, Lord, that you deserve this because you have loved us with everything that you have. You want us to love you with all the love that we have. And you can ask this of us because you have loved us with all the love that you have. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And He loved us to the end and giving his own human life for us on the cross. He loved us as much as he could, all that he had. And so given that he's God, and given that he's loved us in this way, he's right, we have to love him back, above everything else in our life. And so whenever we go to Jesus and we ask him, Jesus, what do I need to change, Jesus, what do I need to work on? This is going to be part of the answer. Love me more. Put me higher. Make me more central. Let me save you. Right? Let me play this role in your life that I want, to, I want to play. Let me be your savior. Come to me with your problems. Don't try to solve them on your own. Don't rely just on human means. Don't rely just on the latest theory in psychology or economy or fitness or wellness or whatever. Literally, come to me. Come to the Blessed Sacrament, sit in the church, look at Jesus and say, Jesus, help me with this. Jesus, help me with that. Find some quiet place in your house. Sit down, put yourself in God's presence and tell him your problems and ask him for help with those problems in a trusting way. And then love him more directly. Right? Tell him that you love him. Jesus, I love you. Or as St. Philip Neri would say, Jesus, I don't love you. <laughs> and that seems like a bad thing to tell Jesus. But it's a great start, just to be honest with them. Jesus, I don't love you more than myself. I don't love you more than my life. I don't love you more than my friends. I don't love you more than my husband, my family. But you say that I should, so help me. Jesus, I don't love you. Great aspiration. And in order to love Jesus, he has to become more real for us. And this we try to do with our meditation, with our prayer, by doing his will, by taking is teaching seriously that they're coming from a person with authority, they're coming from God. And so therefore I really buy in, I really try to live them, apply them to my life. And we have a great example of this in scripture. The example of St. Paul, writing to the Philippians. St. Paul basically says, I'd rather die and be with Christ than to live. Fulfilling what our Lord says that you should lose your life for my sake. Saint Paul puts it in a very beautiful, striking way. He says, "For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If it is to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary in your account." So he's kind of weighing up his options. Should he desire more to die, to lose his life, and therefore go see this object of his love, Christ, for me to live as Christ? Or should he desire to stay on earth and keep doing good for the church? And in his love for Christ, Christ is so real to him because of that revelation that he received and because of his life of prayer and his life of service to our Lord. Christ is so real to him, he loves him so much that he says, I prefer to die and go <laughs> and go be with Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then a couple chapters later, in the third chapter of his letter to the Philippians, St. Paul talks about how Christ has indeed become the highest object of his love. That compared to Christ, everything else, all of the worldly status and worldly goods that he enjoyed and was born into, are nothing. He says, For we are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And by the flesh, St. Paul here means the goods of the world, right? All the things of the world. If any man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So St. Paul is basically saying, look, I'm not some worldly loser who, in the eyes of the world, had nothing, and therefore it was easy for me to follow Christ and to make Christ Number one, he's saying, look, in the eyes of the world, in the flesh, I had a lot going on for me. I was born into the right tribe. I was well instructed in the law. I was zealous in my persecution of the church. I was righteous and blameless under the law. I was actually good at following this very difficult, very complicated law. And so St. Paul saying, in the eyes of the world, I had a lot, right? I kind of I had it all. This passage reminds me of the joke. And you know, What three things do you know about a man within five minutes of meeting him? You know whether he's from New York, whether he's ever been a Marine, and whether he went to Harvard. Right, and You know those things because within the first five minutes, he tells you. He lets you you know. And so St. Paul's kind of doing this. Look, you know, I went to Harvard. I was a Marine, and I'm from New York. And I have this trifecta of human excellence or human glory. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But... but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What an incredible testimony. How rich, how lovable, how awesome the person of Christ is to St. Paul. I count all things as loss, refuse, garbage even, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And to know Christ Jesus is to know a person. Jesus is not the force from Star Wars, not some immaterial spiritual reality. Jesus is a person, a definite person. And so to know a person, we have to get to know him. We have to talk to him. We have to deal with him. We don't love what we don't know. So we won't love our Lord Jesus Christ unless we have a hunger to know more and more about him. We do this with our spiritual reading. We do this with our mental prayer. And in this time of prayer, we can ask our Lord, Lord, I want you to be more real for me. Help me to discern the features of your personality. Help me to have a breakthrough, a kind of greater appreciation of just how much you love me, just how good you are, Just what it means to say that you are my God and my Lord. We start our meditations with that great act of faith. My Lord and my God. I firmly believe that you are here. My Lord and my God. Who do you say that I am? Well, Lord, we say that you're our Savior, our Redeemer, and so we bring you our problems. And we say that you're our God, and so we try, we ask, we want to love you more than we do now. Lord, teach us to love you. And this is something that we, we start now. We don't have to wait until we overcome sin because we never will completely overcome sin. We don't have to wait to overcome some moral or spiritual hurdle or obstacle in order to start loving Jesus Christ personally and trying to put him above everything else in our affections. St. Jose Maria had a wonderfully helpful self-description. He would described himself as a sinner in love with Jesus Christ, or a sinner madly in love with Jesus Christ. That the recognition of our sinfulness, the recognition of our weakness, isn't really an obstacle to being in love with Jesus Christ, being madly in love with Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a spur, right If we know that only He can save us from our sins, if we know that He does save us and forgive us from our sins, it's a spirit. It helps us to love him more. Lord, this is what I, too, want to be and call myself a sinner in love with Jesus Christ. A sinner madly in love with you, Lord. Lord, I have the first part down. I am a sinner. We all have the first part down. Lord, help us with the second part. Jesus, I love you. Or Jesus, I don't love you like St. Philip Neri, but I want to love you more. The Imitation of Christ, a spiritual classic by Thomas Kempis, helps us with this, encourages us to appreciate Jesus. When Jesus is near, all is well and nothing seems difficult. When he is absent, all is hard. When Jesus does not speak within, all other comfort is empty. But if he says only a word, it brings great consolation. We can tell our Lord in our prayer, Lord, speak, tell me something, speak. Your servant is listening. Let me know one way or another your words. We have a shortcut opening up the gospel and reading his words, which are all addressed to us. Did not Mary Magdalene rise at once from her weeping when Martha said to her, the master has come and calls for you. Happy is the hour when Jesus calls one from tears to joy of spirit. How dry and hard you are without Jesus. How foolish and vain if you desire anything but him. Is it not a greater loss than losing the whole world? For without Jesus, what can the world give you? Life without him is a relentless hell, but living with him is a sweet paradise. If Jesus be with you, no enemy can harm you. He who finds Jesus finds a rare treasure, indeed a good above every good, whereas he who loses him loses more than the whole world. The man who lives without Jesus is the poorest of the poor, whereas no one is so rich as the man who lives in his grace. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, I believe that you are this great good because you are God and you are my Savior, you are my friend, a great friend, as you call us, I have called you my friends. I believe all this about you, Lord, but help my unbelief. Let this belief be real, be tangible. Let it be manifest in my prayer life, manifest in my life as a Christian. You are truly my rare treasure, a good above every good. What I live for and am willing to die for, like all those martyrs. We go to Our Lady, Our Lady is the prototypical disciple, she has the immaculate heart with which she loves Jesus in an immaculate way, without any limitation, without any lack or limit. We go to Her, Our Lady, Our Mother, teach us to love, teach us to love your son in the way that he deserves to be loved, in the way that he's asking us to love him.